My journey as a Superman fan started with a tattered red cape blowing in the wind. That ending rocketed me forward like a red-blue blur through a decade-long origin story and poignant tales of self-discovery and now fatherhood and backward to the character's very beginnings. Now, on this podcast, we journey together across time and media to examine the stories that have defined the Man of Steel. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. This is the concluding chapter of The Villain of the Story. And joining me to discuss Lex Luthor, the ideologue, is returning guest Ralph Puma. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be at the Church of Superman. Yes. No, I'm so happy to have you here again. You were on the show a little while back and we talked about Grant Morrison's Final Crisis. And we will be touching on another Grant Morrison work here, All-Star Superman. But this episode is a little bit different than the preceding four chapters of this event, because as our audience is aware, we've generally been going chronologically. We looked at the pre-crisis Lex in comics and then other media. We looked at the post-crisis evil businessman Lex. We looked at the Lex of the 2000s, which saw the return of a number of pre-crisis elements to the character. Um, And this time we're sort of breaking with chronology and going a little bit more thematically, I suppose, and taking a look at stories that really delve into the the philosophy and the worldview of Lex Luthor. So in most, if not all, of these stories that we're going to be talking about, it's not a case of Lex being driven by jealousy, money, ego, a sense of betrayal from a shared history in Smallville. That's not really the territory that we're in. This is really a Lex Luthor with a fundamental ideological, philosophical objection to the existence of Superman. And I, I don't want to speak for you, but I mean, I, I found revisiting these works and most of them I had, I had gone to before, but there were a couple that were new, but I just found it absolutely fascinating to, to dive into these works and I'll, I'll rattle them off in a second, but just big picture. What was your take on, on this, uh, this reading and viewing assignment? I I think that there is a really interesting question of is Lex truly embodying this philosopher king that he was kind of raised to be as a child or has he become like this you know conqueror um megalomaniac you know demagogue and I think that there's a lot in these comics that kind of ask those questions you know and that he's debating with himself internally and and one of the sort of the big areas to some extent is the idea of faith and religion. And there are a couple of very specific instances where that's called out. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on for this, because I I think you're, you're a great, you know, partner in crime as we sort of wade into those waters. So just to lay this out for the audience, what you and I read and watched in advance of this. So we took a look at Man of Steel. This was the Brian Azzarello, Lee Bermejo miniseries from the the mid-2000s. Originally a five-issue monthly miniseries, DC uh, later collected it as the Luther graphic novel under the the Black Label banner. So you might have seen it in a a couple of different forms. Uh, But we took a look at that. All-Star Superman, uh, number five. So of course, that's the Grant Morrison, Frank Whiteley epic. And we took a look specifically at number five, which is the gospel, according to Lex Luthor, where uh, Clark Kent is interviewing Lex in prison. Um, Then we took a look at Action Comics 894. This was part of the Black Ring storyline by Paul Cornell and Pete Woods right before Infinite Crisis. So there was a period of time where Lex was the star of Action Comics. Uh, But Action 894 in particular, it's a very interesting issue where Lex 
is on the brink of death and actually meets death in the pages of the comic and has a very interesting debate slash conversation. Uh, we also have American Alien number four. Now, I've touched on this on the show before. This was the Max Landis miniseries. Each issue uh, was was a little vignette into uh, Clark's early life on the road to becoming Superman. And in issue number four, Clark has the uh, somewhat spontaneous opportunity to interview Lex. Uh, so that was the issue that we looked at there. Uh, Forever Evil, the seven-issue miniseries by Jeff Johns and David Finch, where Lex has a heroic turn, which in the New 52 and Rebirth eras was a bit of a theme. And so I want to talk about that with you as well, the, the extent to which Lex could and should be a hero. So we looked at that. And then, don't worry, people. You thought we were done, but no, no, of course. We had to talk about, we, there's no way we could not talk about Zack Snyder's Batman v Superman. And while I promise not to turn this into a Snyder fest, there's a lot to unpack there. And, uh, and I can't wait to do it. So that's what you and I read and watched in advance of this. Uh, I was new to a lot of these. I had only read... Um, <clears throat> The Grant Morrison's All-Star issue number five, which is one of my favorite comics of all time. So it's always a joy to revisit one of those. And then uh, the Dawn, I mean, I've obviously seen Dawn of Justice. And then I had read the uh, issue 894. So uh, everything else to me was brand new. So it was a joy to kind of read new stuff and exciting different perspectives on this character. Just as a side note, because I've touched on All-Star Superman here and there on this podcast, but I have not done dedicated coverage yet. We'll get there. But I have reread it fairly recently. When I did my Superman in the Silver Age episode a year ago, I did reread All-Star Superman because, you know, clearly Morrison was, was taking a lot of inspiration from the Silver Age incarnation of the character. And then and now, I, I've really come to the realization that I, man, I just missed the boat on All-Star yeah. Superman the first time around. I never hated it. I never disliked it, but it never really resonated with me the way it did with so many others. And uh, th- a very short tangent, but I-, I think at the time, I just had this feeling of like, oh, this isn't my Superman, right? Because it was so silver silver age infused. And I was just like, nah, this isn't my version of the character, even though there was a lot that I thought was was cool and interesting. But I go back to it now with the new perspective that I have after doing this podcast and especially having a lot of the context of reading a bunch of those Silver Age stories. And I look at it now and it's like, oh my God, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. (laughs) And even the stuff that I I guess maybe I thought was silly the first time around, like Lois not believing Superman when he tells her he's Clark. Mm -hmm. I look at that now and I'm like, this, it's hilarious and it's brilliant. And so we'll we'll get, we'll get into All-Star Superman more down the line because I think I think I'll have a lot to say, and I'm excited to really give it its due in time. Yeah, I think Morrison finds a way um, to balance at times his like true like nostalgic love of the characters and like the stuff that he loves about them, and then kind of bringing them into his kind of weirder philosophical metaphysical elements. And I think All Star Superman kind of, I think that's his perfect balance. I think that's definitely his most digestible work. <laughs> Yeah, that that may be that probably along with with their JLA. So anyway, we'll yeah. we'll get into all of that more. So a couple of quick housekeeping items before we dive fully into our Lex discussion. All right. So first and foremost, I want to thank everyone who has been along for this ride. I know we're at the beginning of the episode here, but let me just say this now that I have so enjoyed diving into the evolution of Lex, the evolution of his past, his methods, his motivations, and 
I so appreciate everyone who has been listening to these episodes. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. It's flown by for me. Like, I don't know how the audience feels, but it's flown by for me. I can't believe we're at the finale already. So thank you. And of course, to the guests, I mean, yourself included, Raph, like everyone comes on having done their homework, ready to go, and we have great chats, and it, this just wouldn't be the same, and it wouldn't work as well if we didn't have that. So uh, again, I really want to thank the, the audience and the guests. So next week, we're going to be off. It's going to be a skip week for the 4th of July holiday week. So uh, after this episode, we'll be back in two weeks with uh, a very fun episode that I've already recorded, and I've been excited to share it with people. Uh, we looked at the Superman-centric episodes of the Super Friends cartoon, which, nice. as you'll hear, was almost entirely new for me and for my guest, Jeremy, who had done the Superman, the animated uh, discussions with me as well. Uh, so that's coming up in two weeks. So a very, very fun uh, Super Friends mixtape episode uh, in two weeks. So that's what's coming up. On a, on a, on a sad note, uh, this is the first episode that we're recording since the, uh, the unfortunate, untimely passing of comic book artist Tim Sale. And uh, it was just so so sad to to hear first of his hospitalization and then of his passing, and I just want to extend my condolences to his family, friends, collaborators, fellow fans. Uh, I have long been a fan of his. I've done a couple of sale centric episodes. I did an episode of my comic shop book club uh, about a year ago where we looked at the Marvel color books, uh, and certainly we've touched on uh, for all seasons on the show as well, and. You know, on my, you know, Ralph and the audience knows I have this crazy Excel list with all of the episodes that I want to do. <laughs> and one of the ones that that's been on the long term list is a Superman of, of Tim Sale uh, episode. And I, I think that we will do that sooner rather than later, because I feel like that's the best way to, you know, to honor him by paying tribute to his work and celebrating uh, the, the Superman comics that he created. So I think you can expect a, a Tim Sale centric episode in the future and hopefully it will offer some measure of, you know, uh, comfort and catharsis for those of us who, you know, really uh, saddened uh, by his passing. So I just wanted to to say that. All right. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Uh, Spider-Man Blue is one of my all-time favorites. Right? It's my favorite yeah. Spider-Man story. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> yeah. And again, just with the timing of this, you know, in part two of this event, Scott and I did talk about the Lex issue of Superman for All Seasons. We mm -hmm. very recently talked about... Uh, about that work. So uh, again, we'll, we'll do something uh, more involved, uh, you know, not, not too long from now. We also have on a, now we'll, we'll shift back into the, the realm of fun. Uh, patrons at a certain level have the opportunity to, to ask a question or make a comment. And so uh, one of our patrons, uh, Eric had a question for me and I'll extend it to you too, Ralph. If we were to cast, we'll do the fan cast here. People love this. If you were to cast a new Lex Luthor in a, film or television project now who would it be and you and i talked off mic so i know you have an answer ready to go even though i gave you no notice except for a few minutes ago before <laughs> we started recording but who That's who, who would be your uh who would be your your new lex i i'm kind of of like the old like wizard world back in the day maybe i was brainwashed i don't know what it is but something about wanting to see billy zane play lex and then the other option which would get really meta and interesting is if you were to keep henry cavill but bring in homelander as lex mm. <clears throat> oh interesting okay so oh i hadn't thought about that i mean anthony Starr, i love him as homelander but i've been a fan since the days of banshee do you ever watch that no but you've told me about it banshee all right audience banshee is so good it was a cinemax show and it ran for four seasons and they're all on HBO Max right now. So if you haven't ever watched this, uh, I, I can't recommend it enough. I won't, I won't take us on a detour, but I, I can't recommend that enough. But that would be very interesting. 
All right. So I, I gave this some thought. Initially, I was like, initially, I, I was going to be like, well, you know, maybe they could go with an unknown or it really depends on the take. And that is still true. It really depends on what what kind of story we're telling and, and, and all of that. But I'm going to I'm going to plant my, my flag in the sand here. Anthony Carrigan from Barry and Gotham. Oh, yeah. And not just because he's bald. Although, yes, that did, you know, as I was thinking about actors who I could envision in the role, he, he did come to mind initially for that reason. But do you watch Barry? Yeah. It's so good. Again, it's another so good. television recommendation if people don't watch this, the Bill Hader uh, show on, on HBO. He's so good. And he's he's amazing on it. And there's a lot of a lot of humor to his character. But I feel like I feel like he has range. He could do interesting things with it. And he was also Zaz on Gotham. I don't know if you've ever yeah. watched that. Uh, that so, show was bonkers. Yes, in both in both <laughs> in both good and bad ways, I would say. Oh, absolutely. No, I think it's I think it like has like elements of the '60s in there, but it was just a bonkers show. It, it was, it was, but yeah, he played Zaz not for the entire run, but for for a decent chunk of it. So yeah, I would go with Anthony Carrigan of Gotham and Barry fame. He would be my pick for a new Lex Luthor. We'll go with Ooh, that. that's a good one. Yeah. All right, so let's get into Luther the the ideologue, and I mean, I guess some of the questions that we we can answer as we go here uh, over the course of this episode. I guess one, like I said before, is, you know, to what extent is Lex capable of heroism? Because he has this heroic turn in Forever Evil, leading this band of heroes and villains against the crime syndicate. And while I haven't read the rest of the New 52 era, I know he continues along this path and at a certain point is even a member of the Justice League. And I have now, as you know, and the audience knows, I have read the Rebirth era where you know, he initially asserts himself as the Superman of Metropolis after the new 52 Superman dies. And then, you know, he and Superman go on to have a alliance. I mean, at, at, at a minimum, an alliance until that falls apart. But even then, he doesn't devolve into villainy, uh, at least at that point. So I feel like Forever Evil is, is will be interesting to talk about sort of as this representation of Lex's capacity for heroism, especially over this new 52 rebirth period of time. So I guess that's one of the big picture questions. And then the other... Putting Lex's means and methods aside, because I think we could probably all agree, you know, he goes too far and he does things that are are objectively wrong, evil, immoral, illegal. But I guess the 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 other maybe more interesting question is, you know, is, Le- is Lex right? There are num- numerous instances where you know it sort of begs the question: It's like, well, does you know does he have a point? Is there something valid about what he's talking about? So. I think those are some of the the, the big the big picture questions. And the, the last thing by way of setup, I don't know if this if you were clocking this, but I one thing that kind of struck me was with the exception of of the Black Ring issue from the Paul Cornell run of Action Comics, which was, you know, part of you know, the regular Action Comics run of, of, of the time, virtually everything else that we're talking about, well, and Forever Evil, but virtually everything else kind of exists in its own little pocket of continuity like they're all their own their own stories which i think allows them i think there's a reason why we're talking about you know these stories in this episode because maybe that freedom allowed for you know uh, i you know maybe a deeper more meaningful exploration of what makes luther tick but i thought that was interesting because it's like everything else we've done they've been you know in continuity even though continuity changes but at the time they were but all of these really exist in their own little pockets 
Yeah, they, I mean, they could exist at any time in, you know, outside of, you know, American Alien, which it seems fairly early on in the timeline. Everything else could kind of, the the Lex story in number five could take place during when he's in prison the whole time in like that, like, you know, pre-crisis era. And they, they can all kind of be taken from all of these different eras of, you know, the Superman mythos. Okay, so as much as we'll go, you know, I think we'll kind of go work by work and we'll sort of bounce around where, you know, where it's relevant to do so. If we were to sort of try to encapsulate Luther's worldview <laughs> as as presented in these stories, because there are certainly distinctions, but there are a lot of commonalities and a lot of common themes, I think, that come up in, in the works that we looked at. So if we were to sort of start to build the, lay out the foundation of of what makes Luther tick and why in these stories he hates Superman the, the way he does. I don't know, like what would you start? Like, what do you fi- feel is like one of the bedrocks of, of the worldview of this Luther? Um, we're, we're going to get real heavy real quick, but yeah, it's, yeah. I, it is basically, I am the Superman or the Ubermensch, the, the Nietzschean kind of version of that. I am this ultra human Either I am going to become this ultra human, I am going to develop this ultra human, but that alien cannot possibly be the ultra human because that's me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what's interesting is, is like in that sense, there's, I think there's still a lot of ego there. <laughs> and and yeah. I think you definitely see that in these stories, I guess. What, what I was so struck by was this notion of Superman's very existence, snuffing out humanity's drive, fire, passion to achieve greatness. And the, the Azarello miniseries in particular really, really hammers that. And I thought that was interesting. And when I created my little graphic for, um, you know, for, for this event, uh, for this episode, I, I used the quote from Batman v Superman when, when Lex and, and Superman have their showdown on the, the rooftop of, of LexCorp Tower. And Lex says, if, if God is all powerful, he cannot be all good. And if he is mm-hmm. all good, then he cannot be all powerful. And you see, I think that's another driving theme in these works of wanting to, quote unquote, expose Superman to take what has been made mythic to borrow from Azarello's Man of Steel miniseries, like to take what has been made mythic or godlike in the eyes of the people and drag him down, right? And expose him for the quote unquote fraud that he is. So I think like that's definitely what I kept coming back to is the effects of a Superman in the world. What does that do to people? If you're always looking to Superman, if you see Superman as the ideal, does that, does that put an end to human accomplishment? And then again, this, this other track of, you know, wanting to, wanting to expose Superman uh, as, as the, you know, as, again, this, the fraud, uh, as, as he puts it in Batman v Superman. Lex, um, he says it on the rooftop, um, like you said. He, that is a specific, I forget which philosopher basically poses that question. I, I think it might actually be Nietzsche again, like, is God, you know, if God is real, then, what was it again? I'm sorry. If God is all powerful, then he cannot be all good. And yep. if he is all good, then he cannot be all powerful. <clears throat> exactly. And that's, you know, it, it, a lot of people complain about the Snyder stuff because they always assume that, oh, there he is with like the Christ-like imagery and all of that. But Superman isn't re- meant to be representative of Christ specifically all the time. He's meant to be represented of God, of 
this all-powerful figure and what then is lex to that you know lex is the lucifer lex is the prometheus the stealing fire from the gods to give it to the humans if people rely too much on superman if people um, expect him, like in this world, I, I I I forget which book it was, but there were people who I read a book with Superman where people were like careless, and so they would just be like, "Oh, I could just walk into the street and I'll be fine," and Superman will just grab me. And there's almost like this: you expect him to be there. So if Lex can get that expectation away from them, and kind of open their eyes to like, "I am a human. I can do the same thing as him." And I think that's really what he wants. He wants to lift up humanity because he really hates humanity. And he is kind of even more of an alien than Clark and Superman could ever be because he feels like an outcast because he outcasts himself. Very, very true. And, and, and you see that in numerous instances. I mean, the way he's depicted in particular in Batman v Superman is, is an outlier. You know, when you look at the comics and other media, Lex typically possesses some measure of charm and charisma, even if it's a facade, but you know, there's that element of, to his character. Whereas in Batman v Superman, he is, he really lives up to that mad scientist. There's a lot of awkwardness. And in particular, you know, I think of that scene uh, at the, at the library benefit when he's giving that toast mm -hmm. and it quickly, you know, he makes a little joke at the beginning and people laugh, but then it quickly devolves as he's, as he's rambling on. And, and again, I just thought that was interesting compared to the way Lex is typically depicted. It was, it's so funny because I know Mark Wade has been public about his dislike of the Snyder movie. So I'm not, I'm not revealing anything, but I think it's, it's so interesting because as I'm watching Batman V Superman, especially having just reread for the, the prior episode, uh, Superman birthright, the, the Lex and Batman V Superman in terms of appearance and, and behavior is very close to the, the, the young Lex in birthright in Smallville. And it's very much that idea of he can't fit in. He, he like Clark, but for different reasons, is an outcast. He's too smart. And he doesn't, mm -hmm. he can't relate to people and vice versa. And people often meet his, his intellect and his, his attitude with fear. And he feels like that outcast. And he's trying to establish contact with life on another planet because they have to be better than the people here. And so, you know, watching Batman v Superman, it's like, I know, I'm sure Wade hates that, but it's like, <laughs> but you, I, you know, you really see a lot of, a lot of those parallels there, which I was fascinating. Are we, are we going to be like going in order or can we go a little bit into the Batman v Superman stuff? Cause I have something kind of, do you it, know, do what, it. Okay. What, what other better version of Lex would there be? And it's meta by casting Jesse Eisenberg anyway, than bringing in this like tech, like Silicon Valley kind of like tech individual. What would Lex be? He was a, you know, real estate scam. He did businessman. He was a mad scientist in the 50s when we had movies about giant ants and mad scientists. It's it's the natural evolution of this character and it just makes so much sense. 100%. And see, audience just so you know, I didn't I didn't bring well, I maybe I had to bring up Batman v Superman first, but you continued it and I love it. So, uh, let me just say this. I, you know, I've I've done episodes defending the Snyder works. I think everyone knows that I'm a fan of it. And so I, I don't want to, I don't want to belabor the point, but I will say uh, in preparation for this, you know, I, I briefly toyed with the idea of just watching the Lex scenes of Batman V Superman. And I even suggested that to you. I was like, Hey, the ultimate edition is three hours. Like if you just want to watch the Lex scenes, no sweat. And I, I toyed with doing that myself. And then I was like, Oh, I got to watch the whole thing and see everything in context. 
But then I said, all right, maybe I'll split it up. It's three hours. Maybe I'll do an hour and a half over a couple of nights. And I tell you, I, I couldn't stop. I mean, I watched the whole thing in, in one sitting. And, and each time I have watched this movie, it has gotten better. And you see how everything fits together. And all I'll say is if you have watched Man of Steel and the Ultimate Edition of Batman v Superman and it's not for you, then it's not for you. No sweat. But if you've never seen the the three-hour cut, if you haven't watched Man of Steel and Batman v Superman together, if you have agreed with opinions that I've shared on this podcast, give, give it a shot because you might be surprised. You might Your opinion on it might change. And in fact, I believe it did for you, right? I am a full convert on these this trilogy. I could not stand Man of Steel. I actually enjoyed the majority of Man of Steel when I saw it. But that moment... Um, when Superman snaps Zod's neck, that is the big controversial moment. I remember sitting in the theater, seeing everyone gasp, looking over to one of my friends who was just completely like in shock that this happened. And I remember just thinking like, oh, this is not good for any of us. And just kind of like the, like almost like the, like that moment when Lex sees um, Ultraman kind of snap the kryptonite and, you know, do it like he's doing blow, <laughs> but like just this moment of like horror just like washed over me. And I felt like, oh, they're like killing the idea of Superman in this. It felt like, but I didn't even realize like, you know, back in like the older issues, like you found out, like he was just tossing guys and he didn't, he, you know, but it was, that was my moment of like, oh, this isn't my Superman. And then going into Batman vs. Superman, especially that original cut, I did not like that original cut at all. It felt kind of silly and there wasn't enough space for things. And I only recently watched the re the, the director's cut, which is in a, a way better movie. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm so, and I'm so glad that you that you did that even before we were doing this episode. I, I you know, I, I mean again, I'm not gonna won't go into all the differences between the cuts. And to be honest. I don't even remember anymore because once they put out yeah. the ultimate cut, I never looked at the theatrical one again. But I, I will say, I mean, at a minimum, you get a lot more of Clark, the reporter. And I think that yep. really helped. And that really helped show more of the conflict between Superman and Batman from Clark's perspective. I think that helped a lot. But the, the big thing and what t does tie into our discussion here is that it does become clearer, at least in my memory of it, it becomes much clearer that Lex orchestrates everything oh no that is lex in movie. this movie <laughs> yeah that is he, he like steals the show and like this lex actually kills superman he this does lex is the only is like one of the, well besides the that silver age story like this right. is the lex that like actually does it and he's a little bit more of a psychopath i think in this he's uh he's got these elements of uncaring more about humanity and a little bit more unhingedness than I have seen Lex Pryor. But you also know more Mad Scientist Lex than I do. Only now. You know, only now having just... But yes. but to be honest, even having looked at those pre-crisis quote-unquote Mad Scientist stories, I still would put this Lex in, in his own category. You know? I mean, it's definitely that blend of the businessman and the scientist, which we started to get. We talked about this in the last episode, which I know you haven't heard yet based on when we're recording this. But, you know, we started to get that in the you know early to mid 2000s. We it wasn't just the businessman or just the scientist, but this blend. And, you know, you see that here. But I, I would say this is definitely one of the the, the most, you know, un, I mean, there's a lot of calculation and, and all of that. 
and the intellect is there, but but he is more unhinged and, and unbalanced. Even though I've been defending Batman v Superman for a while now, yeah, the, the this incarnation of Lex in terms of both the writing and Jesse Eisenberg's performance, this was probably the part of the movie that took me the longest to come around on. I, I will mm-hmm. admit that. And now, especially after looking at all these Lex stories, I look at this version of Lex and they nailed it. I really feel like this iteration of the character works. And I know as I'm saying this, that there are some of you who are sitting there who are like, what is this guy talking about? (laughs) I'm telling you, this version of Lex is so compelling and still retains so much of the core of the character. There are differences, but it's not a radical departure. And to your point, I think certainly the idea of of positioning him as this Zuckerberg-esque tech guy you know is is realistic is an evolution that you know that that tracks so uh yeah i I so i've so come around on jesse eisenberg's lex from from the initial time that i watched the movie for sure he seems almost omnipotent like at that library gala scene he like i feel like he already knows that lex is i mean that clark is superman and that bruce is batman he knows already a thousand percent like when he hits clark on the chest and he's like well wouldn't want to pick a fight with this guy he one thousand percent already knows that clark is superman yeah it's 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 crazy how like omnipotent this character is he really wants to take down god that and like he'll that's the only way he'll be happy and then he finds out there's an actual even worse threat which kind of drives him over the edge which that near at the end that i the you know like him repeating the dings doesn't necessarily sit with me that seems a little silly but that's also kind of the ending of every batman movie so i think they had to fit something like that in yeah no for sure i think what i was struck by especially in rewatching it and really focusing on lex was when we first meet him He's, you know, he's shooting hoops and then he's, you know, meeting with the, the you know, this, the senators and he's trying to get this import license for this big chunk of kryptonite that he found. And he discusses it in terms of a silver bullet, right? Not just homeland security, but planetary security. We know that Superman exists. We know, you know, he has this whole metahuman thesis. There are others out there and we need to forge a silver bullet. We don't have to use it, but it'll be this deterrent. We have to protect the planet. And that's certainly, you know, in line with other Lex stories. And I feel like, you know, it could have stopped there. But what was so interesting as you watch the movie, and especially as you get to that rooftop confrontation, the only scene in the movie between Superman and Lex, there's the Clark and Lex scene at the gala, and then the Superman and Lex scene. Those are the only times that they meet. But I feel like there you really get at the deeper reasoning for all of this. And you see the traumatized, broken, boy at the heart of this version of lex because throughout the movie you know he mentions his father a lot he does and there's like it's such a like shady southern thing to do with that t and like and like as a viewer you're like is it piss is it (laughs) like did he really do it um but that scene between him and the senator when they're sitting in like his father's study is so beautiful and he is so like nuanced in that scene when he like mentions his father and he kind of has this like little like twitch to him yeah well because he talks about his father at the very beginning he talks about how it was named after after his father right and write checks for lax and that whole thing and and then like you said the scene in the study where he talks about i left everything here like do you think maybe he'll come back like that sort of thing and you know you get the sense that he's speaking about his father in positive terms Mm -hmm. before i get to the rooftop scene let me ask you as a musician yourself 
What did you think of Lex's theme in this music? In this mu- I movie? actually didn't even pay attention to it as like oh. someone who usually does. I completely like I was so like wrapped up in his words because, you know, that's Lex, you know, so my brain was solely on like, what is he saying? What is he getting across? What are the nuances in this performance that I want to talk about? I completely missed the music. So <laughs> well, check out the soundtrack when you get a chance. There's Lex's theme and it's, okay. you know, again, I can talk about, you know, writing and story all, all day long. When it comes to talking about the, you know, the art or the music, <laughs> I'm not as as proficient but it's these like harsh strings i, I guess is a good way to describe it but it's it's so evocative i, I would i would love to get your take after, after you you know listen to it but anyway yeah. so he talks about his father and then we get to that rooftop scene and that's where we get that quote that i that i shared before when he talks about how there was no god who saved him from his father's fists and abominations now the latter part of that and I don't know that I'm maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it, it leads me to think that it's more than just his father knocked him around. It seems to be like we're pointing maybe even towards sexual abuse. I mean, that definitely was the my read on it. I don't know what yours was. Um, I have very deep relations to Lex in some ways. Um, and I very much can understand if that is like an emotional thing as well like oh, fair the, enough the, the the driving of you need to be this thing and if you're not going to be this thing you're an embarrassment kind of you know what i mean like the emotional stuff can get pretty deep <laughs> as well it can cut sometimes even harder than the physical stuff yeah no fair enough and that may be i think i mean i think the, i think it was scripted purposely and i think that you i think there is some ambiguity there maybe there was more to it or maybe it was exactly what you know what you said but you know in any event i feel like it's in this scene where we really get to the heart of this and and again i want to get your take on this because as i'm watching this it's like everything that he had been saying before about planetary security and the deterrent not that he didn't mean or believe that at all but i don't think that was really his main motivation i really think it was what he articulates on the roof that he endured these abuses at the hands of his father physical emotional whatever the case may be and no one delivered him from that yeah and his takeaway was that there there can't be a god or if there is a god he can't be both all good and all powerful and so now people are viewing superman as this god and it's so antithetical to lex he he can't allow it and I just found that so compelling, but also here's what's funny to me, because I think you watch the Jesse Eisenberg performance and he doesn't have the charm and he doesn't have the charisma. And, you know, it's a far cry from the Michael Rosenbaum Lex where you're like, oh, I feel for this guy. You don't really feel for him. I feel like until this scene and, and even though it's still horrific what he's doing, I genuinely feel like you understand where he's coming from in a way that you in a way that's more nuanced than you often get. Yeah. The now God is good as dead line, you know, that's so important because that affects the whole next movie. You know, the whole next movie is about the world mourning this God figure. Yeah, 100%. Let's take a quick commercial break and then we will continue when we return. We'll be right back. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee, 
uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back issue selection. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, to save 10% on your order, and it helps support the show. Thank you. And we're back. All right, so let's continue uh, along here as, as we're unpacking the lex of of Batman v Superman. I, I, bear with me on this, but you know what it made me think of? Hopefully this <laughs> makes sense. Did you watch How I Met Your Mother? Yeah. Okay. So long story short, uh, the character of Barney, the Neil Patrick Harris character, he doesn't know his father for most of the series, and then he connects with him deep into the show's run. And he finds out that his father is, leave, is leading this suburban life and he has a family. And what's tough for Barney is that he was initially okay with the idea of his dad abandoning him to lead this womanizing party lifestyle. Like he could understand that. Like he didn't stay with Barney because he had to go and, and, and be free. Yeah. But when he finds that his dad is, is living this quiet life, he has this breakdown. And it's one of, my, one of the most powerful moments of the show and certainly for that character, I think, where... Barney's like, you're just this lame suburban dad. And he's like, well, why does that bother you so much? And he says, because if you were going to be that lame suburban dad, why couldn't you have been that for me? Yeah. And that's like what I think of here. It's like, if you're this all good, all powerful God, where were you when I needed you? Absolutely. And he does. I, I feel like Lex, in a sense, wants to protect humanity from that, because if you're coming from an abusive like home or an abusive situation, you kind of have this, you know, you either can become a serial killer or you could like go into like this. I want to actually help people. But there's all of this wall in the way between like my empathy and who I am to get to that point. And I think with, you know, throughout the 90 year run in comics that we have we actually finally get to see lex adopt this hero heroic persona you know he finally breaks down those walls when he's in forever evil talking about like the the cat story right right yeah yeah and i you know like i said at the top of this 
the motivations are different here. And I found it, I found it refreshing that it wasn't Lex and Batman v Superman wasn't all about Superman has usurped my position of prominence and adoration in the eyes of the public. Or, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I don't know, orchestrate a sale of this war suit and he messed up my plans. And not to knock those other stories, I like them a lot, but this put a, a different spin on it. And it was this more fundamental philosophical opposition to the character. And it, you know, it, so, I mean, the, the, the God and the rooftop scene, I mean, that's certainly at the, I think the core of this version of Lex, but there are also, all, again, all these other ideas and themes in Batman v Superman about the existence of the character and and his power. And, you know, one of the other things that Lex says, and it takes him a couple of scenes before we get the, the quote-unquote punchline, right? Because when he's with the senator in the study, he's like, you know what the oldest lie in America is, and she cuts him off. And then he says it again before she heads into the Senate hearing, which will ultimately be the site of her demise. Uh, but the oldest lie in America is that power can be innocent. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, when we talk, when we look at Batman v Superman, there's throughout the movie, a la Dark Knight Returns, where we have all these talking heads on the TV screens throughout the movie debating the nature of Superman and, and you know, is every action that he performs a, a political action? You know, should he be acting unilaterally? You know, the, the, the power that he has in determining who to save, like whose lives is he valuing? So there's all of that too. And, and I think that also really ties into, uh, you know, the Brian Azzarello Man of Steel miniseries. Because uh, there's there's a lot about that and the power that that he wields, um, but especially with the, the about power being innocent, was there anything that that um, any takeaways you had from that? I guess, um, not necessarily. My brain keeps like wanting to talk about how like when kids play, like uh, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons with um, uh, Christina's son who it's he's seven so he's like we're just kind of doing like light games here and there but the first thing he did like as like a kid that age where everything is terrifying was oh i want to be chaotic evil and he like got really into that and i think that as a kid and around that age it's really like lex is an important like figure to know about because he is this he's still kind of a child, you know, he was abused his whole life. So somewhere his emotional growth was stunted and he still, instead of stepping up into like this full, like businessman, like I have this power, he almost acts like he doesn't have this power. And he always needs to, I'll show you, I'll show you like that's, he has like this mentality of like one day I'm going to be the one who has the power and I will show you, but he can't fully admit to himself. Oh no, no, no. I'm the one with the power and I'm the one who's causing the abuse now. Well, you know, one of the building off of that, that's a great point. You know, one of the things that we talked about specifically in the last episode, because it came up in a lot of the stories that we looked at, you know, Lex is always complaining. I would have done this and that for humanity had it not been for Superman. And you see that in all-star Superman, uh, not even necessarily the one that we read, but the, like the final issue of all-star Superman where, Again, he he expresses the same sentiment to Superman. It's like, I would have cured disease had it not been for you. And I, I know you remember, but Superman says, he's like, if any of that had mattered to you, you would have done it years ago. Yep. So, yeah, that's an interesting aspect. Now, like I said, one of the other big, pic, pic, big picture questions I had is, methods aside, to what extent is Lex right? And this is where, you know, it's funny because Superman's all-time favorite character, obviously. I love Superman. I identify with Superman a lot. I like to think I share a lot of the values. But in looking at a lot of these stories in particular, there were a couple of times where I was like, 
Uh, I don't know. I think <laughs> I might side with Lex in certain respects. <laughs> now, one of them is, it, this was, it was fascinating to me, this whole idea of bringing God down, right? Mm-hmm. What's, what's funny slash, I don't know, even tragic about it is that in and of itself, I don't know that Clark in the Snyder movies would disagree. Like, so much of his struggle in this you know, everyone's doubting him. They're questioning his motives. Should he use his power, et cetera? But, you you know, you see instances where people are literally worshiping him. Like when he intervenes at Dia de los Muertos and like everyone's mm-hmm. bowing before him and trying to touch him. And, and you know, this the view of him as this godlike being where he's just a guy. And that's one of the talking heads of the movie where it's like, what if he's just a guy? <laughs> like yeah. he's just trying to do the right thing. And that's obviously what he is. But it's like, I, he seems very, you know, I, you know, he does not seem comfortable with the idea of being viewed as this messianic figure. So it's like, in that sense, I think he actually would agree with Lex, right? I mean, would, would you, would you be comfortable? Like if I would love it. No, were, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I want. <laughs> no, but like people were like, you don't have a secret identity, but if like people were coming to you knocking on the door, Hey, I need your help. Can you do this thing? I know you can do the thing. I need you to help me. And, like, at what point does Superman, like, say, well, you got to help yourself? And I think that's what Lex is really calling him out on is, you know, if if people, gods don't age, gods are immortal, gods are timeless, gods are mythic. What does that show? It's not, it's a lack of growth. It's a stability. It's the the ballast on the pendulum. It's not the pendulum swing. So if everything is godlike and perfect and immortal, and if Superman is that way, and that is the fully, um, I have it somewhere, it's the, it's the end, right? Lex wants to create the Ubermensch. It's this whole old occult thing that's been happening since, you know, the 1800s. Everybody wants to attain this perfect, idealized version of humanity. It's like partly the reason why Hitler did the stuff he did in World War II. He wanted to attain power to thusly create a race of super beings. And what happens then, right? So humanity is immortal. Humanity has everything that it could ever dream of. That's the stagnation point. That's the end. And at that point, once you reach the pinnacle, then you start to have to deal with erosion, (laughs) And I think Lex is terrified of that tipping point of like, if we have this perfect immortal society and individual that is already there, how close are we to that point of erosion where everything goes away? Exactly. And, and this is where, again, I want to touch on the, the religious aspect of this uh, because you know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of Lex's conversation with Death in that Action Comics issue, and he explains that he is an atheist, and yeah. he views that not just as the the rational conclusion, but the the ethical one. And he says this this really stood out to me that he's always found religious people to be, and I'm paraphrasing slightly, but abdicating their responsibilities. And again, tying into this idea of like, if you are relying on this higher being, whether it's Superman or a a God, literally, I suppose, uh, you know, are you not limiting your own potential for growth and achievement? 
Now, I'll do one of the things that you should never do, right? In polite conversation. I'm going to talk about religion for a second. Yeah. And this, I, I, we're in a safe space here. So, you know, I've mentioned on the show before, right? I grew up Catholic. I was in Catholic, in Catholic school pre-K through college. And there were times where, man, I was really into it. I remember in elementary school, there were times where, like, I was the one who was saying to my parents, like, oh, we should go to church on Sunday. So, like, I've been on that side of it. And let me also issue this disclaimer. <laughs> I'm not, you know, for anyone who, who is listening to this, who is religious and has faith, and if it's a part of your life and it's, it's something positive, you derive meaning from it, wonderful. And I would never try to undermine that or convince you otherwise. I'm, everything I'm about to say, I'm only, only speaking from my personal perspective. So let me just say that. I got to a point probably in like high school or college where, you know, religion is this balance between faith and reason. And I think the reason side sort of won out. And I got to the point where I was just like, I just, this doesn't make sense to me. But there was also this other objection that I sort of had to it. And this is where, again, I see some connection points to Lex here for better or worse. <laughs> I don't know what this makes me, but like uh, Lex would say human. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just this thing where I found, how do I put this and, and put it delicately that it, I don't know the idea of, of attributing too much credit or blame to God, whichever God it is that you, that you believe in. I found that to be detrimental, I suppose. Like if you're praying for strength, for me, I found that it was more important that I was able to muster whatever I needed from within rather than call upon something external to grant it. Now, I'm sure the counter argument would be, well, if you pray to God for strength, God is helping you find the strength that's already there. It's like, okay, I don't want to split hairs on that. It's like that, I understand. But that was sort of, I think that was sort of one of the things that I just kept butting up against where I just felt like for me, it's like whatever I need to have or do, it's like I that needs to come from from within me, not from some other being or power or whatever it is. And to whatever degree I've achieved like self-actualization or like whatever it is, I, I feel like that that was helpful for me. I, I don't know. And it's it's been a while since I've like really, you know, dwelled on it. But I think that was sort of the transition point that that I had. And so you know, when I, when I read or, or watch these Lex stories where he's talking about people becoming overly reliant on this higher on this higher power, it does land with me to an extent. And again, mm-hmm. if, if you, you know, again, if you, whatever your, your belief system is, again, I'm not trying to undermine that, but that was kind of what it was for me. And I, I don't know if you want to talk about your own experience or not, yeah. total, like no pressure at all, but that's kind of where I'm coming from with some of these things. I was about seven when I think I asked my mom that I wanted to not go to church anymore. I think it was a very similar story as a lot of other uh, people who kind of fall into a similar category as me, which is um, you're told constantly that when communion happens, you're going to, it's going to blow your mind. You're going to like fully experience God. You're, this is what you've been waiting for. It's going to happen. And like, I went to communion and I ate a stale wafer and I was kind of like, where's God? Does this mean that I'm bad? Does that mean that like, what is, what does this mean? And so at like that age, I think my uh, great grandfather had also recently passed. So I had like this like death thing I was kind of exploring as well as this like crisis of faith at like such a young age. And, um, 
that's why, you know, today I'm pretty much a weirdo occultist kind of individual where I, I've studied all religions here and there and dove into all of these uh, like philosophical texts. And I think Lex at some point, and if no writer has done this, and I know you hate the magic side of things, but with all of the philosophy Lex reads and all of the things he quotes, this dude is definitely an occultist. He talks exclusively about how perception rules reality. And like, his perception completely dominates his reality. I will never be this because you exist. Well, you keep talking that into existence, Lex. That's the way it's always going to be until you change your perspective. That's, a, you know, that's an interesting point. And, and, you know, I think back to that action issue where he's talking to death and, you know, I, again, this is where it gets a little wonky because within the DC universe, you know, characters have encountered the afterlife and Lex literally says, he's like, I know there's a hell. He's been there. There was a whole Underworld Unleashed story where he makes yep. the deal with Neron and he gets his vitality back. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe in some instances that's a little tough to to reconcile. I <laughs> maybe I shouldn't even say this, but the, you know, with the afterlife, this isn't even Lex centric. But I think the other thing that sort of solidified my view, uh, if you want to put it that way, is I, we're again another television reference, but Angel. Mm-hmm. And I know Joss Whedon is persona non grata now, but I, you know, I, I loved Buffy and Angel and there was an episode of Angel and I, I binged both shows the summer after my sophomore year of college. And I remember there was an episode of Angel where there was, the, you know, Wolfram and Hart was the evil law firm and the demons and all yeah. that stuff. And I remember at one point there, like Angel is in the building with them and they're going to take him down to hell. And I don't know if you remember this specifically, but he goes in the elevator and it, he, it opens up and he's on street level. It's like, it's yeah. just earth. Yeah. And he says something at the end of the episode that I remember being, again, going into my junior year of college, I remember hearing this and I was like, oh, this makes sense to me. This idea of like, if there's no afterlife, he says, if all, wait, uh, if nothing we do matters, i.e. if it's not like you're getting rewarded or punished in the afterlife for your actions on earth, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. Yeah. And that, I remember that being like, oh, I get this. And so that's why, you know, again, I try to, you know, I, I can look myself in the mirror. I try, you know, I try to try to act with, you know, a kind heart. And hopefully I achieve that more often than not. But I don't do it because it's like I'm trying to attain something or prevent a punishment. It's like I'm doing it for its own sake because yeah. I think there's value in it. And, Again, it doesn't necessarily even tie to Lex, but as far as like the like that sort of that was sort of the other piece for me. Uh, so again, you know, we talk about how I met your mother. I've re- referenced The Office before. Yeah. Angel clearly television has really been <laughs> incredibly formative. <laughs> I mean, it, t- TV raised all of us '90s kids. It's why we all kind of talk with like that Southern California accent. We're, no matter where we're from, we all have like that just slight bit of SoCal in our dialect. Um, <laughs> It's the it's the great work, right? The alchemy, turning lead into gold. It's what Lex himself is att- attempting to do. He wants to turn his human, you know, leadness into this kind of gold super being. And if that being already exists, uh, well, what is the point? He's asking himself, and you nailed what the point is. And it's action for action's sake, you know. Where we, if we put too much on the outcome 
and our expectations, then the action no longer matters. And the action is where, like, it's literally called action. That's where it's all happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. Uh, totally. So, I, you know, I, again, I know we can, we can certainly continue on with, with the religious track, but I want to... I said before about, you know, whether or not Lex is right. So this is moving into more, I guess, tangible territory, but still very interesting. Again, the idea of someone with this degree of of power. And again, a lot of similarities between that Man of Steel miniseries by Azarello and Batman v Superman. Yeah. And you also see in both works the very thin line, I think, between Luther and and Batman. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And because you know, in, in Man of Steel, there's an issue where Lex needs some technology from, from Bruce Wayne, and so they have this sit down, and Luther ultimately offers Bruce kryptonite in exchange for the technology that he needs, mm-hmm. but he, you know, he explains the, you know, the way he views Superman and, and his power, and he says that, you know, he could annihilate us all, and the only thing we have to safeguard against that is his word that he won't, and Lex, in that issue, says even if we believe it, can we accept that? And that's, again, another instance where, you know, <laughs> I think there's a lot of validity to, you know, to what Lex is saying. If there's a singular being with that degree of power, you know, is it is it not irresponsible to just sort of take him at his word? Uh, you, I would have a backup plan. I would be wondering, like, what are we supposed to do about this person? Like, what if they, what if they are like? I mean, we've seen in the boys, like, what that power can do on the other side of the spectrum. There's all of these alternate Superman takes of where he goes mad with power. Um, when does he cross over into that kind of uh, like fascist Superman, the ideal of like the whole fascist movement? when does like what you he could be that or he could genuinely be this like caring kind of beautiful godlike figure but then everybody's going to follow him and they're not going to do anything for themselves and the society will thusly be built around his ideal so of course we have to question him of course we have to kind of take him down a peg so that people will rely on themselves there's there's absolute reason and purpose for lex to be questioning superman he would be insane if he didn't and i think that's why he is so driven and so kind of mad about like he's he's genuinely going mad about this because humanity sees him as the savior and he's like the smartest guy in the room and it's kind of like you know an issue that you know if you're you're a teenager and you know you're right but you have people around you just basically being like oh there he goes the smartest guy in the room again and at some point lex has got to be like no but i actually am so like when are you going to listen to me <laughs> yeah no man I, I i agree with that wholeheartedly and it what, what's what's interesting when I, I talk about the, the line between luther and, and wayne is that snyder essentially gives that speech to bruce and batman v superman and I've quoted this on the podcast before, but when he's talking with Alfred and, you know, when Alfred finds out that Bruce is trying to get his hands on this kryptonite and Alfred's like, well, to destroy it, right? And Bruce is like, no, <laughs> like to kill him. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, but he's not our enemy. And Bruce is like, if there's even a 1% chance that he's our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. And so again, I feel like that's very much in, in line with, you know, what, what Lex espoused in, in that Man of Steel miniseries. And I think, yeah, I mean, if you are, if you know, if you are, 
you know, uh, possessing high, higher intellect and you're the strategist, it's like, yeah, you would, you would, you would want to have some safeguards. So, you know, I, again, I think that tracks to a large extent. What's, what's fascinating. Well, go ahead. Uh, but like going back to like Lex's perception and his full belief that perception rules your reality. Well, if Bruce and Lex's perception that this guy is an alien that's going to at some point snap, aren't they not by their actions causing that reality to occur? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a fair point. That is a so, fair point. That is kind of where they're both wrong in a sense, because we, we as the audience, know Superman's intention, right? It's very clear from Man of Steel, minus like some of the, you know, his hatred towards buildings in that movie. But <laughs> it's very clear that he is still a good individual and that he's got a good head on his shoulders and that he wants to help. He's not like this crazy rage filled monster. He is small town farmer from Kansas who just wants to help people. So we know that, but Lex and Batman, they don't know that. And that's the tragedy. And so they're taking these steps and they're putting all of these things in place that genuinely make them both kind of the villain just by taking those steps to safeguard the rest of humanity. So, well, let me just say real quick, I know a lot of people had issues with the so-called destruction porn of Man of Steel. I still maintain it's like, well, this is what ha would happen if you had these beings. But also it's like, when you, especially when you watch the movies together, it's like, well, Batman v Superman, that shows the consequences of that. It's like, you yeah. wouldn't have Bruce out for blood if he didn't experience that moment of helplessness watching yeah. the buildings around him crumble and it brought him back to that moment of being a kid. So it's like, I feel like it. there's a payoff to that. But so I agree with everything you just said about they don't know him, uh, you know, who he really is. So there's uh, in the final issue of Superman for all seasons, the Lana centric issue, mm -hmm. uh, she kind of gets at, at the heart of what you just said, where she's like, you know, people wonder how like how Superman could exist, like how someone could have that power and truly purely use it for good and not have an agenda. And she's like, but to know the answer to that, all you need to know is Clark. And that's the thing. I feel like Clark Kent is the key to all of this because it's like, yeah. And and we think about what would happen in the real world if someone showed up with his powers. It's like, yeah, I'm sure you would get the range of reactions. Like some would worship him, a lot would think it wasn't real. And you know, even those who thought it was real would think it's too good to be true. Like that's the thing. Superman on paper is too good to be true unless you have the key to unlocking it, which is Clark Kent. Mm -hmm. And that's why, and I know this has gotten so much flack, but the Martha moment, again, is the key to this because that allows Bruce to see the humanity. It's like the Martha yeah. moment is where Lex's plan, it's like the one, you know, the one crack in Lex's plan, right? Because he's he manipulates and orchestrates everything. He, he positions these two guys to have this battle to the death and it would go there if not for that Martha moment. And that's what allows Bruce to see the, the man underneath and that, you know, turns the tide. But what's so fascinating about Eisenberg's Lex is that he knows who Clark is. You know, like Batman doesn't know that Clark Kent is Superman in, the, in that movie yeah. until, until that point. Do you think, and this is just, we could, you know, you can cut this if you think it's useless, but do you think that because we don't get to see like Lex and Clark as young and Lex definitely grew up on like a, you know, he ha he knows about like certain Southern mannerisms and cultures. And he, he, 
His father is still a drinker. It's still Lex. Do you think that that Lex hates that Clark because that Clark did not save that Lex when they were kids? I think that might be the answer to that because I'm so glad you said that. And I would never, I would not cut that because (laughs) no, like that was one of the things that I, I did come back to, right? This whole idea of Clark is the key to understanding and accepting how a Superman, how that power could actually be innocent. And, you know, but, but again, in that movie, like he, you know, he has that knowledge. Now he doesn't know Clark, but again, Batman doesn't know him really. Right. It's just enough to know that he has a mother and they happen to share the same name and all that. But so, yeah, I don't know. I think they're, and I don't, I wonder if even that was intended, but I feel like that probably was intended because there's so much talk about, you know, he talks about the Kentucky, mm-hmm. you know, his father with the Kentucky mash. And again, he, he definitely has this insight into that, into that culture. So uh, yeah, I, I think I, I, that's the thing. I think knowing that like, I think Lex knows enough about Clark and where he comes from. And that's, that's, he does know, and that's not enough to sway him. Yeah. Very interesting. There, again, there's like, there's uh, so much good stuff. In it this is. Movie. There's, there, it, not just this movie. Like, I love that, like, Lex in The Man of Steel is like, truth is in the teller. That is so, like, Lex's perspective. Like, you know, he does, like, I would say The Man of Steel and the issues of, issue, I think it was five, of American Alien, they could fit in the same, like, that could be at the same time period. Yeah. You know, he, when Clark tosses Parasite right through the <laughs> the glass and you have that first, you know, Superman in the office moment with him, and Lex is like, okay, what is your actual plan here? I didn't realize you were an idiot because now I control the narrative. And so like Lex is this like master of controlling reality and perception and truth. And yeah. All right. So let's talk about that in the context of, of man of steel, because there's, there's some, there was a lot of interesting stuff there too. Um, especially in terms of, of Lex's plan Mm-hmm. And maybe why he felt that plan was was the only way. So again, I, you know, I don't know how familiar people are with this with this Brian Azzarello miniseries. It's definitely worth reading. And he and the uh, Lee Bermejo also did uh, a Joker uh, miniseries as well. So they, I think those pair together very nicely. So if anyone hasn't read either or both of them, I really do I do recommend it. So uh, you know, in the early part of Man of Steel, Lex is building this science. Spire and it's you know, this huge building in, in Metropolis and and you know dedicated to scientific advancement and you know he gives this televised speech about you know humanity's quest for for greatness and how we should always aspire for more and and you know all these ideas we've been talking about and what's fascinating is you, you know you as you're seeing him give this speech you're seeing people people's television sets broadcasting the speech and no one is paying attention. So we get to the end of the story and we find out, I mean, I, I don't want not to do a plot summary of the entire thing, but, but basically uh, Lex orchestrates a series of events whereby Toy Man, and we'll talk about Toy Man for a second, but uh, oh, where, terrifying. where Toy Man uh, detonates this bomb that kills like 70 children at a daycare center. And simultaneously with this, Lex has also created this, this android clone being, robot. Clo- yeah, clone robot. Uh, android being uh, named Hope, who he positions as Metropolis's new hero, and the the goal is that you know he's going to have Hope start to bring Toy Man to 
you know, to meet his end in, you know, in exchange, you know, you know, in, in retaliation for the deaths of these children, knowing, knowing that Superman will intervene, that he will not let hope kill Toy Man. And this idea that everyone in Metropolis is going to be, you know, demanding Toy Man's blood, his life in exchange for what he did. But Superman is going to deprive them of that. And even if that makes one person hate Superman, that's enough for him. And when you watch people watching the news footage of all the Toy Man stuff, and they're glued yeah. to their television screens. And I'm not saying Lex was justified. It's horrific. But I wonder, and it's a hypothetical, I guess, it's like if people were attentive to the message that he was trying to deliver earlier about needing to reach within and aspire for greatness, would he have resorted to the horrors that he did? Is it just his nature and he would do that anyway? Or again, if, if their audience had been more receptive and I don't mean literally, like I, I'm not even saying like he literally knows that people are tuning him out, but, but like just in a, in a general sense, like would that have made a difference? No, I think he's coming. He's, he's, I, I don't want to like bear judgment on him, but he's coming from a completely flawed place. He's coming from, I have pulled myself up out of dirt and ashes and I am this great individual. And the only way I've gotten to this place is through pain. And all of these people are complacent and they're lazy and they're useless. And I am the, you know, all men are created equal Superman's not a man, therefore I am the best of all men due to my worth ethic and ideology. Everyone else is below me, and I want to bring them up to me. And the only way I can do that is, is if they feel as terrible as I felt on whatever day my, you know, father took away my rubber ducky or whatever it was that like fully like broke Lex, he wants to break that in other people. He literally names this, you know, like fembot that he wants to sleep with that is reminiscent of Superman. So there's like that kind of element there that he like he wants to break people's hope. And I asked this question right at the beginning and it was like he gave that speech about hope in the first issue and I was like I struggle with understanding Lex's hope and I have that note down here. And then after it's the whole point is he wants to like his version of hope is making people feel hopeless so that they have actual reason to hope. Ah, oh, interesting. Okay. You take away all yeah. of this great, you have the science spire, even though like the news guy was like, ah, you know, we're not going to charge you for it. This is beautiful what you're doing. And he's got this, you know, savior figure that's competing with Superman. That is like this America's sweetheart situation that's happening. And then he blows up the science spire. He gets rid of the <laughs> hope. He kills her off. And Superman saves the, you know, really awful toy man that's in this. So he wins, he gets everything he wants, but it's completely flawed because is it going to matter? Are people going to have gotten the message at all to pull themselves up out of anything? Or are they just going to go about their day the next week? Yeah, I mean, I feel like if if he achieved anything, it's like he said that maybe someone, you know, doesn't put as much faith in Superman. But but even yeah. then, it's like, you know, do you think that that turned the tide you know, with the city as a whole? No. You know, and, and that, so that was a thing reading this story that, you know, it's kind of, it's heartbreaking because 
And this has been one of the kind of one of the questions that's come up in a lot of these episodes is, you know, like how much humanity should Lex have? Because, you know, we'll, you know, we'll get more into forever evil in a second. But, you know, there he has a lot of humanity. He's always, you know, talking about his sister. And it's like, you know, they really use Lena, you know, to really humanize him to to a large extent. And then there are other stories that we've looked at where there's like he's so cruel and cold. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. where's the line? What's the right fit for the character? And maybe there isn't one answer. Maybe it just depends. But, you know, you're reading Man of Steel. What's like fascinating about it, it's all from his perspective. The art is brilliant because the way Superman, oh like Superman is drawn, yeah. like he's always covered in shadows. It's the red eyes. It's like he's drawn as the villain of the piece. Lieber, uh, Lieber Mayo's art is so good. It's it's uh, it's so it's so gorgeous. Like I haven't gone back to that Joker miniseries in years, but I got to yeah. take a look at that. But, you know, you and you as you're, you know, it opens with this like rather lovely scene of him befriending the janitor at LexCorp and then he gets the janitor's son into this this very exclusive school and you know you see the other side well, you, of Lex as well you wouldn't be on Lex's side for the story without that opening scene you actually like in the artwork see like he's showing sympathy he's showing empathy he cares about the common man but once again like that's the thing with Lex is there is a separation there he is you know I'm able to help you because I am not common there is like that I, it's a beautiful moment. I love that moment, but we have to also take into account that it is Lex Luthor, and from in his heart, he truly believes he is better than everybody else on this planet. He does, and he literally says that in the American Alien issue yeah. that we looked at. He talks about how exceptional he is. Most people are not important, mm-hmm. but history has shown us that every now and then there is someone who can rise above. Now, you know, so much about this is, you know, this this opposition to people putting their faith in in Superman. Is it that Superman is an alien, that Superman has powers not of this world? Because, you know, would, would Lex have an issue with people looking up to him? Like, maybe not, right? Because he's, he's, he's a human, even though he's no. an exceptional human. Well, that's, I, I, I kind of did this little diatribe down here that I'm going to talk about. Like, it was kind of like my analysis of the whole man of steel story um lex wants to be a beacon of light for humanity uh morning star the lucifer to the devil the prometheus to the gods he wants to bring enlightenment to the unenlightened and he can't untether himself from this unending search for knowledge and even talks about that in that 894 issue of like even if everything was perfect i would still be searching for the catch Yes, you know, yes. And um, he's like, if Lex were to have his way, he would kind of end up in this Lovecraftian place of tearing open like reality and to these vistas of untold horrors, which he does in Dawn of Justice. It is his fault that this like Lovecraftian elder god is on its way to devour our planet because of his constant need to be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I know you really can draw a line. I mean, he, like we said, I mean, he is responsible for Superman's death and that awakens the mother boxes and it draws Steppenwolf to earth. It's like, he's, you know, he's, uh, uh, you know, he's really, uh, you know, cast, cast the die there for sure. Uh, you know, with the, uh, I, I guess going back to, you know, to, to man of steel. Oh, just as a side note, uh, this vision of toy man, I know that's not the focal point here, but what was your yeah. take on, on this toy man? terrifying i actually like genuinely loved it it's not kid friendly obviously it's not like for kid books but why wouldn't 
Toy Man be like this awful, creepy, like pedophile? That's the thing. I feel like, I mean, it's tough because it's so, and, and, you know, I've mentioned this before, and we're actually going to be covering this when we do our death to wedding event later this year. But uh, there's a like, horrific story in the mid nineties where, again, it's many years old. So I think we're okay with spoilers where Toy Man is kidnapping children and he kills the son of Cat Grant. I mean, it's oh. rough. I remember reading yeah. it as a kid. I was like, oh, like this is really, really tough. Um, so it's like it's off-putting to read, but at the same time, it's like when we look at the range of like versions of Toy Man, the idea of like, oh, he's this, you know, disgruntled toy maker who was cast aside. It's like that's not particularly compelling. No. You know, do I need him to be a full-on pedophile? It's like that's again, that's really tough to stomach. But I think generally, like this version of Toy Man, it like it does make sense and it does it does work. So and especially in the context of this story, it certainly did. Yeah. I think it adds like a really fascinating layer to the character that like could discuss those elements. But once again, like Superman is a, is like a top tier book and like kids are going to grab that first. So is that something you're going to want to put into those stories? It fits really well in this like mature side stuff. And I'm sure like in like mature labels, you can explore it, but it is a genuinely terrifying depiction of Toy Man. Yes, for sure. I did you watch Smallville in the final seasons because they did a version of Toy Man. I did, but I'm not recalling the Toy Man. Yeah, he was in seasons nine and ten for just a few episodes, but I felt like that Toy Man kind of struck a good balance because there was a creepiness, mm-hmm. but he wasn't a pedophile, so it was yeah. kind of like okay, I can just sort of get on board like, uh, with this. Yeah, version. you don't have to primarily discuss that with the character it can be alluded to in like the more like mainstream books but i just think that you know why what like what else would be this individual's motivation to develop toys that kill right yeah uh anyway so going back to the man of steel miniseries again uh, you know just a couple of other parallels to the batman v superman movie like you said you know luther in this repeatedly says that superman is not a man He refers to Superman as it when talking to Bruce. And then Bruce in Batman v Superman has that whole thing about like, you're not a man, you know, you're, you know, men are brave. You're not brave. Men are brave. So, uh, you know, again, that, that same sort of um, idea here, as far as Superman stifling, you know, human achievement, I guess, you know, we've talked a lot about religion and the idea of a God. Now, obviously one major difference is, you know, we're talking about, uh, God in a religious sense, you know, there, it's, it's not, it's not something we can see, feel, touch, experience in that way. Like there is a, like there is a very big difference between God, regardless of which religion you're talking about and Superman, like Superman is literally there. Yeah. Uh, and I know to your point, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's a, a clear, you know, you're saying before about, um, you know, would, would people be more careless, right, going about their lives, knowing that Superman might be there? I, you know, I think there might be something to that. I mean, but as far as them not striving for greatness or or innovation, because they see this idealized version that they know they'll never be. I mean, is that do you like do you? I guess do you see Lex's point on that, or do you feel like eh. I, I I definitely see Lex's point on that, but personally, I think Lex reflects himself onto superman they're mirrors of each other so you know when they're 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 always having those talks through 
basically glass looking at each other kind of like almost like layered on top of each other while he's hovering above him and all of that so they're kind of in this like mirror realm kind of communicating to each other and lex reflects himself onto superman and as i said before he's an outcast so how he could only possibly understand the alien and develop a paranoia about this alien based on how he himself feels detached from humanity. Lex is only putting himself onto Superman and his own detachments and like how he would behave if he had this power. Yes, I think that is a key component of all of this. And, you know, even going back to the, you know, arguably less, you know, less nuanced versions of the dynamic when we're talking about like the post-crisis evil businessman, there's clearly a disconnect where Superman is maybe the maybe with the exception of Lois, like the first person Lex encounters who he can't buy, intimidate or control, and it just doesn't compute because he knows yeah. that everyone has a price. And similarly, here to your point, it's like, well, if I had this power, of course I would use it, to, you know, for for my own ends or, or whatever the case may be. So the idea of someone using it in a in a truly you know, quote unquote, innocent sense or objective sense or, or whatever you want to call it is, is so like, it just doesn't, tr it doesn't compute for him. Well, think about even, um, early Smallville with, um, Lex there. And he's basically being raised to be Alexander the great. He is basically being raised to be this like philosopher King that is going to conquer everything. So of why, like what else would his perspective be on unlimited power like that? Yeah. Right. And, and again, you know, tying into that whole theme of, of the, you know, it was funny watching Batman v Superman, especially now. Look, I talked about religion. I guess maybe I'll dance around politics for a second. But especially when we have those Senate hearings and the, you know, the Holly Hunter character. And, you know, she, I think she's definitely presented with, as a character with integrity. And when she has information about what Lex's role in all of, all of this has been, you know, she, she does take action. But she's still very much opposed to the idea of Superman acting, as she says, unilaterally. And as I'm watching it, it's like I'm getting angered on behalf of Superman because it's like, well, so what are you proposing? That Superman only goes where the government tells him to go? Because I have more faith in, in Superman, the, <laughs> Superman <laughs> than I do here. And, you know, this is something that we, that like this season of Superman and Lois on the CW in particular has also gotten into a lot as well. Uh you know, and, and we talked, we know we did an episode not too long ago on Superman as a government stooge, as we saw in the Dark Knight Returns and then in, in DC, The New Frontier. And it's like, yeah, I mean, if that's the solution that's being proposed, it's, I, from my perspective, not a viable one. I, yeah. Yeah, again, I would much prefer Superman just kind of acting, uh, you know, using his his gut there. Oh, and, the, you know, the other, I don't want to forget this, the this whole idea of power. It's interesting because this comes up in a number of, of ways. Obviously, in Batman v Superman, you know, most prominently, this idea of, you know, Superman deciding who to save, like that's making a choice, right? But, you know, Clark says something very similar to Perry when Clark wants to cover the Batman vigilante who's branding criminals in Gotham. And Perry's just trying to get him to write a sports story. And he's like, look, Perry, like you're, you're deciding what's important when you decide what to cover or what not to cover. And then similarly, Batman himself, right? We get this whole idea that, that he's branding criminals knowing that that's a death sentence, that when they show up at prison and the other inmates see that they're branded, they get killed. So it's yeah. like he might not be, you know, killing them himself literally, but he's sending them to their deaths. 
So you see that come up in a, in a, in a bunch of places, which I just thought was interesting. Because as much as we talk about Superman's power, it's like, well, there's all kinds of power that's exercised in different ways in that movie and in the real Absolutely. world. Absolutely, yeah. You know? So we can, of course, jump back to any of the stuff that we've already covered if there's anything else you want to say. But I want to make sure that we we get to the other works too. And yeah. I actually, so maybe as somewhat of a, I don't want to say palate cleanser, but sort of a pivot point here. All-Star number five was kind of fascinating to me because I feel like, you know, it's called the gospel according to Lex Luthor and you get a lot about what Lex thinks, but I feel like when we get to the end of the story, it sort of undermines what you and I are talking about here because he has this thing where he's like, there's no deep psychology to my hatred of Superman. He's just in my way. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the idea. What, what is your, what was your take uh, when you got to that, especially in the context of these other stories? He, uh, the, I think he's showboating there. I think he's, I think a lot of that, whenever there's a difference when Lex is around Clark, where he almost holds himself as this like, oh, I get to actually show how I'm better because like this guy is obviously an oaf. So I got to show him how great and wonderful I am the entire time I'm around him, you know? And I feel he acts in this way around Clark all the time. And he's just looking for quotable things. And I don't think that Lex believes that at the ending. I don't think that that is inherently who Lex is because we see it at like... I not to spoil i mean it's a long old story but like at the end of all-star superman like what happens with lex and what his journey is at the end of that story and who he truly is in his heart with his empathy and learning and seeing as superman for the first time so i think that he's showboating throughout this entire issue i think this is, this is the most like all of it is so meticulously planned outside of i would say even parasite like parasites the only thing that's not planned everything else in that is complete like he has an ape he has a baboon there to basically in a superman outfit for like media like he knows how to work the media he's completely toying with clark and like master crafting this narrative that he wants to put forward and the only thing that isn't like meticulously planned in that issue is parasite I, I like that take on it because I've never really liked the idea that it's just a matter of Superman being in his way. And you know, I talked about this in the first episode that we did in this run that I think that was sort of how I viewed a lot of the pre-crisis stories. And I, you know, I was happy to be proven wrong because, you know, watching or you know, reading a lot of those stories, it's like, Hey, you see like, it's it really, the word grudge is what I kept coming back to. Like it really felt like there was this grudge between these two guys, you know, further, amplified when you get the silver age revision to the, the history and the fact that you know luther blames superboy for his baldness silly as it is but it's like okay like that puts you know a little more meat on the bone there as far as like this personal animosity beyond just he's in my way is i yeah that's the thing it's like that's not you know what, what separates luther from a you know a, a metallo or something like that right it's yeah. like I, you know you want there to be more so i very much I very much like your take on that. And then when I do my full reread of All-Star, I'll definitely have that in mind. It's in Man of Steel and it's kind of showcased in this. I, I love this version of Luthor that like in All-Star Superman, but he's definitely showboating and he's definitely, I mean, we don't talk a lot about how Lex is insecure about 
Superman. And he says this line in Man of Steel that very much is like tied into how he's behaving in All-Star Superman, which is insecure men um, ignorantly seeking to tell people what to think. And that's great and all that he has that like perspective on like other people and how he wants to avoid being that. But he himself, you know, is this insecure man who builds a 1960s fembot clone of Superman that he controls. Like, I, I can't think of anything more insecure than like the power play that's going on there. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned a few minutes ago in the Man of Steel miniseries that he creates this, you know, basically female analog of Superman, Hope, and he has a sexual relationship with her. And, you know, I think back, of course, to the the 90s era when he was posing as Lex II, his own son in a clone body, and he had a relationship with Supergirl. So it begs certain questions about, like, you know, what's what's really going on here uh, in terms of the, the relationship with Superman and is it just, you know, just a, a power thing or are there other f- confused feelings like mixed, mixed up in there. But it, it, it is interesting that, you know, when we have, whether it's Supergirl, who's again, very clearly, uh, you know, this counterpart to Superman or even someone like hope that that's the type of, of relationship he has with them. It's, it's, it's all about his insecurity. And he, I think I, I, I mean, obviously, the way he treats Mercy throughout everything, he even leaves her in Dawn of Justice. In she's know, in the hearing. It's 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 awful. And so Lex Lex's opinion on women is very apparent. And he, as an insecure man, sees it viable to control them easier. Yeah, it's 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 not great. But it's kind of who he is. And at the end of, I mean, it's not in any context, but at the end of All-Star Superman, he's got like this this 18-year-old that he's obviously like fooling around with too. Right, so right. So he's... Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. So there's that, so there's that whole angle too. But no, I, I like your take on on him showboating. And, and I... Yeah, I mean, I, I, like, I like the take that he's that he doesn't mean it when he says there's no deep psychology there. I mean, I, you know, because again, I, I don't know that it's, it's as interesting, but you know, the rest of the issue, I mean, is, is really cool. Uh, you know, like you said about the showboating, you know, he's, he's working out and like he's demonstrating his physical prowess and you know, the, the main gist of the point that he tries to make to Clark is that, you know, people can't see past Superman. Right. So, you know, and he uses the example of Lois. It's like, well, maybe Lois would notice you if you weren't so preoccupied with, with Superman. And, Oh, and I guess tying into this idea of, of, you know, human achievement, he's like, you know, if you worked out a little bit, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, you could turn that flabby physique into something that could, you know, rival Superman's. <laughs> so, which again is, you know, the other, the other, the funny part about all of this is that he's brilliant, right? He's like the smartest man on earth. And throughout this issue, like Clark is right in front of him and using his powers <laughs> to help yeah. him from the, like the very first page when he, you know, uh, Lex is, you know, creating that, that device and, you know, Clark realizes that it's going to electrocute him and he pretends to trip uh, and numerous instances throughout the, the issue that like Lex is just completely oblivious to. It's so funny. It's, it's almost so like the amount that Lex is showboating in this issue is the amount that Clark is turning up his like Clark Kentiness. Like he is turning <laughs> like Lex is turning his, like I've got to be the most impressive human to 11 and Clark is turning his, I better not get caught by Luthor. So I'm going to turn this up to 11. Yes. 
for sure. Like the moment he walks in the room, he trips. Like I know it's to save Lex, but like it's like that level of like, oh well, here's Clark. I don't even have to look at this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you know, I I'm thinking like in looking at all of these stories, I guess with the exception of you know, maybe Black Ring and I, I suppose Forever Evil, which seemed to, you know, in the new fifty two, I guess he you know, he did grow up at Lex did grow up in Smallville. But, you know, in, in these other stories, you know, you don't have that you know, that personal um history between Clark and Lex. And I know we talked about that before in the context of, you know, what you know, how how Lex's knowledge that Clark is Superman in Batman v Superman, you know, doesn't doesn't sway him. Uh, but I've been talking in ver- I think all of these episodes about how I, I'm a proponent of a version of the story where Lex knows that Clark is Superman mm-hmm. is I think it makes it really interesting. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, I always go back to the idea of Smallville where they had the shared history, you know, Batman v Superman is the other like big example of a story where Lex knows the secret. But I guess what's funny there is that they don't have that shared history, but it still works, which is, you know, mm-hmm. funny to me. Cause like I always, I go, of course I go back to the Smallville version, but uh, just as a, as a, as an aside, you know, just as far as, you know, what we've been talking about in, in these, in these episodes here, it's like, I think like that's another example of a little bit of a twist on it where they don't have the history, but he knows, and he uses that knowledge. And I, I just think it's, it's effective. Like, it's not a matter of like, Oh, I'm going to tell your secret to the world. It's like, no, he uses it in a, you know, a very purposeful, you know, powerful strategic way. So again, I think it's just another example of it's viable. In all-star, I think that like he could potentially know when he's like, Clark is holding on to the punching bag and he's like, how Superman pale? Like, you know, he, yeah, that's <laughs> the true. one time that Lex is like face to face with him. So he could potentially know there and he just likes to play the game. I like that. take. Listen, I like that take on it too. I'll go with that. I'll go with that for sure. So, uh, is there anything about, uh, American alien or black ring that, that you wanted to talk about that we haven't gotten to yet. I know we've kind of, we've touched on those, uh, before we talk about forever evil. Um, the eight ninety four was, I really enjoyed like the skis line where she like brings up black racer. Like I thought that was like cute that like, would you expect the scythe or the skis? No, just me. Like that was kind of fun. Um, and that other thing, the spend forever looking for the catch, I thought was fascinating. Like, once again, that ties back to how he's like this Lucifer kind of occultist, like, I have to know everything and I will be unsatisfied because if there is peace, that means there is no growth. Yeah, I mean, like that issue was so interesting and it read very well, you know, as I, I didn't, you know, again, it's one issue in the middle of a you know, a year long storyline, but it reads very well on its own as Lex is having this negotiation with, with death. And yeah. the, you know, the line you cited that definitely stood out to me too. And it just felt like, Oh man, this is, this is a hundred percent Lex Luthor. It's like, <laughs> well, he would never he be goes, content. He goes through all the stages of grief and he gets frustrated that he's going through the stages of grief. And he's like, okay, what is the way out here? Like it's once again, <laughs> he's getting faced with somebody that he can't buy out. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's funny because he has what seems to be a genuine moment of fear 
which he articulates to death. And then she's like, well, you know, other people have tried to, you know, appeal to my emotion. Like it doesn't work. And he's like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. It's a great, again, I, you know, it's been a while since I read that entire storyline. I think I will go back to it in the future, but for anyone, even if you just read action 894, it's a, it's a great issue that really gives you a lot of insight just into, you know, into the way he operates. And he's just like, Luther is such an, it's like just an absolute. And his refusal to accept death mm-hmm. is, is, is really, it, it's just, it's palpable. And, it, and um, you know, I mean, obviously he doesn't die at the end of the issue, but uh, it, it was interesting. He, he, he doesn't even, he doesn't even win. He doesn't even get to win out. She was just kind of like, yeah, I just wanted to talk. Yeah. <laughs> so like that leaves him like frustrated too because he wanted to win out because he's lex Luthor. yeah so all right let's jump to forever evil so this was you know one of the the big uh, new 52 storylines and as i've said on the show new 52 even now remains you know one of the gaps in my fandom uh you are actually going to be joining me for an episode not far from now actually where we're going to look at the grant morrison action comics run from new 52 and then Ken Marion is going to be with me for an episode as well. And we're going to look at, at other key, uh, new 52, uh, Superman story. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be closing that gap as of now. I mean, really all I've read for the most part is that introductory secret origin arc from justice league when Jeff Johns and Jim Lee relaunched it. Um, so I really came into forever evil cold, not having read the stories leading up to it. And to be perfectly honest, I did not have high expectations. I was just sort of like, all right, like, you know, it'll be interesting fodder for discussion. Let me just get through it. And again, the basic gist of it is that the crime syndicate has taken over the world. The Justice League is seemingly dead. Of course, they're all they're they're with trapped within Firestorm's matrix. And Lex Luthor becomes the unlikely hero of the day as he leads the resistance. So I went in and I was like, all right, we'll see how this is. I actually I genuinely enjoyed it. I thought it was it was it was much stronger than I expected it to be. What was your take? I, I kind of had the same like thought going in. I've been trying to go back um, ever since you got me reading uh, unlimited or a DC. What is it called? The DC app, universe the, infinite. Yeah. <laughs> infinite. Yeah. That's what it is. Ever since I started doing that, I, I am kind of going back reading through all the new 52 stuff. And there's a lot of like, uh, okay, this is fine. I feel like with the new 52, um, and I kind of expected that going in, but I did end up enjoying it. The book is very, very Jeff Johns, um, which is fine. I mean, Jeff Johns like is what he is, which is basically just saying it is what it is, is basically me saying do, but like, whatever. <laughs> um, but I did enjoy this. Um, the one the one thing that frustrated me and it's such a like nitpicky nerd thing was I don't like that Bizarro comes after Connor. I feel like it's you're like you know the 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 pyramids and you like in front of the three grand pyramids you have like the small ones where they attempted to build the pyramids. Like Bizarro's one of those steps for Lex. He's like on the cloning process. And I loved everything they did with Bizarro and Lex in this. I like, I, I really love that. But just to have Connor already there, it just seems really weird and inauthentic that this clone of Lex and Superman that is successful has happened before Bizarro. I can't argue with that. And I mean, like I said, I haven't read this and I, I don't know that I'll really ever get to the Superboy new 52 stuff. So I don't really know enough about how that came to be, but yeah, I mean, that seems to be sort of, 
out out of line that you know we would have this imperfect clone after after Connor. But I, again, I like like you. I did like the you know what what Bizarro brought out in Lex, and and so I mean I guess like I said I laid this out as one of the questions at the beginning, and you know we see it here. We see the hero Lex. And like I said, I mean, this continues. And and in the Rebirth era, which I have, you know, read, you know, he and Superman, and it it, it is genuine. I, I mean, and the, the kickoff to that is, you know, him positioning himself as the new Superman is, you know, this promise that he makes to the comatose Lena, his sister, that like he'll become someone she can be proud of. Now, prior to that, there is also this moment, uh, this again, at the very beginning of uh, of Rebirth, where the new 52 Superman has died and Lex is like, oh, they'll love him even more in death or something to that effect. So it's like, yeah, there's still that there too. But, uh, you know, I mean, he really embarks on this heroic quest and then like deep into the Peter Tomasi, Patrick Leeson um, run, he and Superman do have this falling out where Super where Lex is, you know, uh, taken to apocalypse and he reaches out to Superman for help and Superman doesn't get to him as quickly as Lex would like. And he just feels like, like Superman had abandoned him, which goes back to what we talked about in the last episode, the... I think the theme of that episode and those stories was Lex feeling betrayed and feeling like Clark or Superman turned his back on him. And so you see shades of that in that story. But again, I guess my point is like you have this long stretch of Lex acting as a hero for the most part. And I guess my question is, is like, does, is that like, I, I guess I've, I've expressed the desire for some measure of humanity in the character. I don't like when he's only cold and cruel, but then I wonder, is this, going too far in the other direction like do you like hero lex um i think it is needed for this story you're the the opening balance of this story is lex being lex it's almost if you were to sit down with that man of steel issue and you have that opening of oh we need to have lex be like compassionate and empathetic you have this just awful moment of lex where he's telling ted cord's father like basically i'm going to kill you and ruin your entire family because i need this part from your company and it's the complete opposite of just like he's not empathetic he's not being a good guy he is being lex luther but Forever Evil is about Lex Luthor getting all of his fears presented to him. Now what are you going to do? Now what are you going to do? Okay, this is happening. What are you going to do about it? Oh, this Superman can snore. He doesn't know. He's walking behind him and he's like, Superman, are you okay? He's like kind of like standoffish and like scared of him and standing back and terrified. And he's like, okay, did this guy finally snap? And he sees him basically like snort kryptonite and so like the the panel after that you see like lex's eyes widen and like something like breaks inside of him where he's like oh this is happening yeah <laughs> it's his greatest fear like and he has to now deal with it i i guess i feel like i'm i'm more okay with lex in this story like i feel like in the context of this story his actions do make total sense and i like the journey that Johns and Finch take him on. I guess mm -hmm. the idea of him sort of continuing along that path, that's where I'm like, is this Lex? But now counterpoint, especially when you're talking about a character who's been around for <laughs> decades and decades, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, I think maybe this is worthwhile territory to explore. And, you know, like in the in the preceding episodes, I talked about how, you know, at the end of the President Lex arc, I didn't love that he, you know, went crazy and put on the, you know, the green war suit. And, you know, we talked about how, well, 
once he's president and he reaches that position, it's like, well, you can only go so far. So like maybe that's the culmination of the evil businessman Lex. And then we sort of need a return to the, the scientist businessman version, or I guess that a new creation at that point, that blend. Um, and so maybe similarly here, like moving him into heroic territory, like maybe that is a new, you know, new ground to explore and, and, and is worthwhile. Um, and, and again, I need to read more of those stories to get more of a sense of that. And I know, well, I haven't read it yet. I know like Scott Snyder's Justice League run, for example, um, in the, I don't know, post-rebirth, I don't know if rebirth or infinite frontier era, whatever period we're talking about. But, uh, you know, a lot of it, I think Lex gets a fairly, you know, a fair amount of play in there. And just as a side note, I was, I was just reading about this, but there's this whole backstory with Lionel Luther. Are you familiar with any of this that Scott no. Snyder introduces where Lionel is like, again, I haven't read this, so if I'm missing anything, I apologize. But essentially, like, Lionel was this scientist who was part of this secret uh, secret group created by Vandal Savage. And then things went awry and uh, Lionel turned to to alcohol and became a broken man. And that's how he, that's how he ended up the Lex that... Um, you know, that we're familiar with for some, from some of those, um, you know, again, not the Smallville version, but, um, like the secret origin version of, of Lionel Luther, where he's this alcoholic, abusive farmer. So there was this whole other piece. So again, I haven't gotten to that and I know I'm, you know, not doing it full justice here, but I just wanted to mention it because I read about it. I'm like, that's fascinating. See, yeah, I don't, I don't, I I have to read it. I I don't want to pass judgment, but I feel like that's too much, I guess is my gut reaction. Well, Vandal, see, (laughs) I actually recently have gone down a like Vandal Savage rabbit hole because for some reason a lot of like my like occult studies and like stuff on like secret societies that I'm fascinated into all kind of converged on this character and I went back and I read his first appearance and that's wild. Everything that they did with Vandal Savage and his first appearance in like that Green Lantern issue is insane. <laughs> it's like I, I would suggest going back and reading that and like the amount of stuff that they talk about that's happening politically at the time and that like mirrors what we're going through now and it's it's just really bizarre and he's presented as like this like really friendly like old like older businessman and he slowly devolves into like the caveman like kind of vandal that we know and it's really really interesting. So I can absolutely buy that. And that's a great way to introduce like the Lionel from Smallville, who is like the businessman scientist, who then can become Lex's father, who is the abusive alcoholic. Right. Yeah. I, well, that sounds really interesting about the Vandal Savage stuff. I mean, obviously, I've read plenty of stories featuring him, but never the origin. So that would be kind of cool to check out. Um, anyway, I, I just mentioned that to say, I you know, I, I, I'm aware of at least some of the broad strokes beyond what we're talking about here. But you know, in Forever Evil, you know, it's funny because I've complained about other events, especially DC events, but any publisher. And one of the things that kind of always, I always find lacking is is the absence of a, of a point of view character who we're really following. And so yeah. this addressed that in a big way. I mean, Lex is is really the character we're following here. We're not with him on every page. But he begins and ends every issue, and and it's really his journey that we're tracking. So I, I really like that a lot. The fact that he would not bow to the crime syndicate was was totally in line. And uh, you know he wouldn't bow to death. He won't bow to Superman. <laughs> he won't bow like that. Felt very you know very true. And I, I guess if there were something that would cause him to you know, uh, and that's the thing. It's like 
you know, becoming a hero, even that might be putting too fine a point on it. It's like, he's just not going to, you know, bow to, you know, to the crime syndicate. It's not like he's totally turned over a, a new leaf. No, because even Catwoman asks him, like, were you really going to save Grayson unless you were confronted? And he was like, it is, it happened. Yeah. Just take it as it is. Like, or when he shakes Batman's hand and he steals the kryptonite ring. <laughs> I know. Yeah. He's still Luther. He's not changed. He's enjoying this time in the spotlight. This is, it, it feels like he's getting his 15 minutes of fame after all this time, even though he is one of the most infamous characters. This feels like he, because he's getting these challenges of, all of his greatest fears like even his ideology is being challenged he 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 has this kind of like social darwinistic ideology about the world and now you've got a society that lives that way and you're no longer the strongest in the room and so like what are you going to do when your ideology is toxic towards you and is going to destroy you yeah no for sure and you know a lot of the you know, or at least one of the main themes that we, we, you know, have, have been addressing in terms of Luther's worldview and these other stories is also at play here. I mean, at, at least once, but I think more than once in Forever Evil, he, he lays the blame for the crime syndicate taking over at the feet of a world that overly relied on Superman and, yeah. and the rest of the Justice League. So again, going back to this idea of, of, you know, putting too much, too much faith, too much reliance on a Superman. And you know what's so funny? You know what I thought of? This is not entirely dissimilar to what Jor-El says to, to Clark in Superman the movie. Uh, particularly, it's in the special edition. It's like the extended cut where uh, Superman goes to the fortress after his first night saving people in Metropolis. And he's like really riding high. And he's like, okay, I don't have to be Clark anymore. And Jor-El is like, no, you have to be Clark. Like you have to protect you know the people in your life. But also you can't be Superman 24 seven because people will come to rely on you too much. It's in humanity's yeah, nature to abuse their resources. So yeah. again, it's just like, it's interesting to see these connection points. It's like Jarrell and Luther are kind of making the same point here. Well, Jarrell would be the Lex Luther of his planet. Would he not? He is the smartest individual on that <laughs> planet. <laughs> well, you know what? That's the thing though. It's what's so, I'm so glad you said that. Cause it's like, you know, your heart, your heart goes out to Jorel and all these origin stories. It's like, he's the only one who recognizes that this planet's days are numbered and everyone yeah. dismisses him. And similarly here, it's like, like you said, I mean, like Lex is one of the smartest people on the planet and he's making this, you know, what, what I think we rationally objectively can see is like, yeah, like a valid point of like, Hey, we need to have some safeguards at a minimum. Yeah. And he's laughed out of the room. So it's like, I know Jarrell and, and Luther, like you know, two sides of the same coin in some ways. Yep. Uh, we got Otis. We did get Otis, not for long, but we got Otis. I was very upset about it. It just felt like when I, I, the only movie I ever walked out of was the Clash of the Titans, like remake. And <laughs> it just felt like that moment where they show like the little like owl and they're like, oh, who needs this crap? And they throw it away. And I was just like, just, just let him, just let him be, let him be like the guy who's there and around Luther that's annoyed by him. You didn't have to have him be killed by Bizarro. I know. I, you know, it's like we we haven't totally tracked Luther's henchmen across these episodes. I mean, we've mentioned them here and there, but you know, like you like I mean, it's funny cuz they they do always bear the brunt of Lex's uh, abuse and impatience, but 
uh, especially in these stories, they really get a, a raw deal. I mean, again, Otis and like you said, Mercy and Batman v Superman. Yep. I mean, he sacrifices her in that in that courthouse hearing, in the Capitol yep. building. It's terrible. And Hope, same thing. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's that's Luther for you. I enjoy this bizarre. I I really like the shining light of this whole story was the Bizarro Lex thing, like the Lexenstein monster situation. I totally adored all of that you could tell that lex genuinely cares as soon as like bizarro speaks and he realizes that he's learning and how quickly he's learning and like the same moment that lex was like terrified of ultraman you have like the light go off in lex's eyes and like this empathy for like oh this is this is my son this is my child (laughs) like Yeah, no, it was great. And, and you know, when, when, when he's killed and, and Lex is like, you know, he's a monster, but he was my monster. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and again, like I was saying with, with Lena, you know, Lena's interesting because we talked about this last time. There's the, the Boy of Steel arc from Adventure Comics post uh, Final Crisis after Superboy's come back to life and he's trying to reconcile the fact that his DNA comes from Superman and Luther. And uh, that story reintroduces Lena uh, to continuity as an adult who um Mm -hmm. is is physically and mentally incapacitated and and superboy challenges lex to save her and lex comes up with the serum that does it and then he takes it away he's like when superman's not here then i'll then i'll save her for good so again that like i said that cruelty was really at play here this version of lex that we get in the new 52 and into rebirth is different this is a lex who clearly you know the his sister is, if there's anything that can sort of pull at his heartstrings, well, along with Bizarro, it, it seems to be uh, Lena. When I, I do, you know, I do welcome that. Like reading that Boy of Steel arc, it was it was just, again, one of those instances where it's like, he's so cold, he's so cruel. It's kind of hard to, to empathize. Um, yeah. But again, and look, because I know I, I keep bumping up against this in these episodes, especially when we have the lack of, huma- of humanity in, in Luther. And it's like, you know, should he have humanity? Like, that's the thing. Like, I guess for me as a reader, it's like, I, I want him to have some, because I guess I think of the Rosenbaum version and I think like, well, it's more interesting if I can, you know, kind of identify it to some extent, but it's like, you know, maybe you, you don't necessarily need that. So I'm not saying it's a must, but it's just something that's interesting to note when he does and doesn't have those, you know, moments of, of, of redemption possibly. We know that like multiversal stuff is involved in all of this, and these could be multiple different versions of Lex and things like that. The thing that makes him a villain is that he has those moments. You can't turn around to Superman and say, oh, yeah, Superman has moments like that all the time where he does like, he, you know, he <laughs> lets his friends die and all of that intentionally. If Lex didn't have those moments throughout his entire life, let's say he would never have these moments where he feels he needs redemption like in forever evil because the moment that ultraman crashes through his building lex is on this journey of like oh everything is happening the way i thought it would happen but it's not with who i thought it would happen why is that person not here to save us oh wait now it is on me okay i do have to step up so it's all it's like this chain of events that actually triggers change in Luther, which is kind of brilliant. So does ideally what I would like to see, and like once again, this is just from knowledge of past comics and whatnot, is maybe the new 52 and rebirth and all of this is Lex's 
hero's journey. And it ends very similar to how Final Crisis ended our era, where it'll be Lex versus Darkseid, and he reboots the universe. And then we get whatever Lex's rebooted version of the universe is. Uh, I like that, man. I like that. Oh, and when we're talking about Luther saving the day, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the ending of Justice League Unlimited. You know, to this day, I love the fact, I mean, look, Superman making this whole speech to Darkseid about how he feels like he lives in a world made of cardboard and he always has to hold back, but Darkseid can take it and they have this, this, you know, fully unleashed battle. I love it's probably, it is one of my all time favorite Superman moments, but the fact that that doesn't win the day that it ultimately comes down to Lex Luthor who has ditched his, you know, his, uh, his action suit for his, his business attire going back to, you know, his origins on Superman, the animated series, and that he's the one who is ultimately able to, to, you know, to, to defeat Darkseid, I love. I lo- so like I love the moments of of uh, heroism. You know, f- I guess in a in a fleeting sense, long. T- but I that's the thing. No, I don't disagree with you. I think just like you know, he has this arc in the eighties and nineties as the evil businessman to the president, and then we have this turning point. You know, similarly here, I mean, I think it's a worthwhile journey to explore. You know, to what extent he's capable of heroism, and then what you know what happens at the end of that, and where do you go next? So yeah, I mean, I I do think there is value there for sure. Absolutely. And I love that in this, we it's really cheesy, it's the super friends, but we get this Injustice gang together to be the heroes. And it's it's really cool that they have this battle of like the lesser Injustice members. It's like the entire super friends Injustice gang have like this big fight, and it's really kind of cool. You know, it, uh, Jeff Johns, regardless of like issues people have with him, he's really good at playing with the toys. Like it feels like kids playing with toys and like coming up with creative stories and ways for these villains to fight each other. Yeah, no, totally. All right. So as we are approaching the two hour mark here, uh, okay. I, ha- I have at least one concluding question for you, but before that, is there anything else either, you know, specific moments or big picture ideas regarding any of the stories that we talked about that we didn't get to that you that you want to speak about um the last thing i can really think of is lex versus alex yes yeah and like, forever evil yeah you have this you know i know this is the new 52 but isn't alexander luther supposed to be the good guy from that reality or is that different well yeah i know i guess I'm going to do, we're going to be covering the crisis stuff next year. So I'll have a better answer for that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that is the world, right? Isn't it earth three where it's the crime syndicate and Alexander Luther is, is the good. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Yeah. So instead of that being the way it is in the new 52, we kind of get this fully embodied Lex Luther who he wants to be, he's stealing the light from the gods to be the strongest survivor. Yeah. And our Lex. And, oh, yeah. Still beats him <laughs> with his brains. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was able to outsmart him. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing really in all of these Lex stories ac- across these episodes, but especially in this one, you know, to see, to see the intellect, to see the the cunning, to see the manipulation again, going back to where we started with, with Batman v Superman, you know, from the very beginning to this international conflict in Africa, it's like Lex is the one who has sent the mercenaries there and has them, kill the, the the rebels and the villagers and set this up to make it look like it was possibly Superman. You know, he's the one who is intercepting the checks from the Wayne Foundation to the worker who lost his legs and then sending those 
uh, those horrific notes to Bruce Wayne about how he left let his parents die. You know, he's the one who has that prisoner who has been branded transferred to you know Metropolis where he gets killed and then sends the you know the the photos to Clark. It's like he's doing all of these things throughout the movie, you know, to to goad these two into into a, a conflict. And even more instances than the ones I cited. So it's, uh, again, I think, you know, this is a, a constant when we're ever talking about Lex, but especially in these stories, to really see the mind and the manipulation, uh, you you know, you think you really get a good look at that. Yeah. So the one, I usually have been asking this at the beginning of the episodes, I saved it for the end here. For you, what is the, like when you think of Lex Luthor, what is the definitive version, whether it's a comic book version or one of the adaptations? Like what immediately comes to mind either? And not even that it's like, oh, I objectively think it's the best, but like in your heart, like who who is Lex to you? Um, for me at first, it was the animated series. Um, that's what kind of where I saw Superman for the first time. I think I was, what, I that came out, what was the year that it came out? Do you Oh, recall, the animated or, series? Yeah. 96? Uh, yeah, so I was seven when I had just started reading comics. I didn't even read Superman comics, I don't think. I had like Impulse and Nightwing and things like that. And I remember staying up late. I was allowed to stay up late to watch the pilot episode that was on at like 8 or 8.30 or something like that. And I just was like glued. And like, I remember being like in that seven-year-old state of mind of like, oh, what is this? How is this? How does this work? Wait, I didn't realize Superman was cool. He's an alien. What? Like all of those things just kind of happened for that. And that was kind of my introduction to Superman. So that version, obviously, Michael Rosenbaum in Smallville was big for me too. So we're, we're pretty, you know, parallel on those elements. Yeah. Well, those are excellent picks. I, uh, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, this won't shock anyone. The, the Smallville version is nearest and dearest to me, though the the evil businessman Lex, but specifically the President Lex era, really holds a special place. And and again, really does I think represent the the climax of that version of the character. But yeah. and I you know I don't mean to sound uh, you know like oh everything's so great, but in doing these episodes and the five episodes that we did over the course of this month and and you know revisiting stories that I, I had experienced before, but looking at them in a new way. And then, you know, taking in new stories for the stories that were new to me, uh, especially in the pre-crisis era. The thing that I just keep coming back to is what a dynamic and versatile character this is where he is reinvented. And yes, there are certain core elements that remain, but we see a lot of changes to Lex's history, methods, motivations, and, I mean, I would argue more often than not, it, it works. And I, it, to me, he is the ultimate opponent. And that's, he is the villain of the story. And, you know, that, that's why we did these episodes. But, man, has this been a fascinating journey. So, Ralph, I thank you so much for, for doing the homework and coming on here and having this discussion. I really, really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. I I have one more thing, uh, and then I'll I'll go for let it. you go. <laughs> but, um, I was watching the boys, and they say this one thing in it about um, Huey, and it's to butcher, and he's and it's kind of a lo- like loose comparison. It's not really it doesn't really hold a lot, but it kind of brings the characters together at one point where um, uh, Mother's Milk says to Butcher, "He's your canary," you know if you let him die then you know you've gone too far and i think that for both superman and lex they're kind of each other's canary like if one of them goes 
and it's the other one's fault, like you know that things are in a bad place in the DC universe. Well said, and to quote Smallville one more time, they have a destiny together, only on different sides. Yep. So, Ralph, thank you again. Audience, guests, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Like I said, we will be back in two weeks. So we're off next week, back in two weeks with a really fun episode on Super Friends. Until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. The spinoff podcast, Digging for Justice, a DC fan journey, is available now exclusively at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato starting at the $1 level. New episodes release monthly, and many more rewards are available too, including a robust back catalog of bonus podcasts. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show.